Hello and welcome to the podcast known as Talking um, uh, Jimmy Stewart. You know, I used to feel like I could do a pretty good Jimmy Stewart impersonation, but I don't feel like I've nailed it for this podcast yet. But thank you for hanging with me. It's been a lot of fun so far producing this series in conjunction with the Jimmy Stewart Museum in Indiana, Pennsylvania. If you're listening to this podcast episode upon its initial release, it's December, and I just had the privilege of seeing It's a Wonderful Life on the big screen. I caught it at the Alamo Draft House in Richardson, Texas, and just when you think you couldn't love a movie more, wow, a transcending experience. Jimmy's Jimmy's is a mesmerizing performance. I took the kids. We sat on the second row. It was a little close, a little close, but we bought our tickets late and it was about sold out. So that's the best that we could get. It didn't matter because it was well worth it. Something for you to consider if you haven't ever done it. On with the podcast. My guest today is Bill Moomy, who has had such a widespread career that you really just have to Google it. We got together by phone a while back and talked about some of his showbiz experiences, including working with Jimmy Stewart on the film Dear Bridget. I hope you'll enjoy it. First, I just want to say I've been eager to talk with you because your talent and your experience, in my mind, puts you in the center of the showbiz universe. You have uh, acting chops, music, writing, and then the stuff that you've been a part of uh, from I mean, for every classic like the Jack Benny show or the Twilight Zone, there's, you know, a more modern classic like Batman the Animated Series or Babylon 5. I'm fascinated by all of your showbiz reach. Do you, well, thank you. Do, do you, I, uh, I, you know, I feel fortunate that I've been able to, uh, well, first of all, I'm fortunate that I've been able to, you know, work throughout all those decades and yeah. certainly grateful that, uh, you know, I've been able to work in so many different arenas of entertainment. Do you have a favorite, I mean, between acting and music and writing and voiceover? I would have to, you know, the, the politically correct answer would be, you know, whatever I'm doing at the moment is where I'm 100% committed. So, uh, you know, that's probably true. But I, I would also have to say that, you know, I mean, I'm making music on an hourly basis, whether there's you know, professionalism involved in it or not. I mean, if, if I were stranded on a desert island, I'd figure out a way to make a stringed instrument or something. So um, I guess music would be number one. But, you know, when the camera's rolling, there's nothing else going on in my mind except what that character's supposed to be about to deliver. Sure. So I, I think it's ironic that we'll go straight to the movie you were in with Jimmy Stewart, Dear Bridget. You're the member of the family in that, movie that has no musical talent but you're were you involved in music at that point or did that movie somehow inspire you to think oh yeah well I'll show you all uh, actually I, I began um, taking guitar lessons uh, just a few months before that film started and also uh, for several weeks which I thought was really cool. And I thought at the time it was cool, and I, I look back on it now, and, and it was definitely uh, cool. For several weeks before filming the series, uh, excuse me, the, the film, uh, I took private cello lessons at 20th Century Fox. Mm -hmm. So they really had a, a, cellist, a cellist teaching me, you know, the proper way to hold a bow and the proper way to try to get some vibrato out of my 
left hand and things like that. Now, Erasmus was definitely supposed to be somewhat tone deaf, um, but at the same time, it was a musical family and he was supposed to be like a tone deaf, but trained (laughs) musician. So we we really did study the cello for a couple of weeks um, before we filmed those scenes. And I thought that was really cool. And it certainly helped my own musicianship because you know, it developed some nice vibrato and things like that. But I, I, the details that they went into to prepare for that was very nice. Yeah, I, I understand Jimmy did the same thing, not really understanding how to play the trombone for the Glenn Miller story, but wanted to make sure the motions were right and he was looking relatable. Exactly. And, yeah. and he played, you know, I, I, I don't need to tell you anything, I'm sure, but he did play the accordion and um, it was cool. But uh, so in those scenes that we, when we're making music together, it was done to playback, mm-hmm. but and, and it wasn't us. But we had all learned those pieces to a degree, so that if you you know in terms of where our fingers were on the the fretboard of the cello, for instance, and and uh, the fingerboard, not the fretboard. <laughs> um, you know, anyway, uh, it, we were pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Uh- on to Jimmy there in that movie. Did you know Mr. Stewart before filming? I understand that you had a relationship through your church. Um, I didn't really know him before. Okay. You know, it's interesting because when you're when you're ten years old, and I've been working since I was five, and I had worked with a lot of so-called you know legendary talents by the time I worked with Mr. Stewart. Um, but when you're five, six, seven, eight years old, and someone says, oh, you're working with Jack Benny, or you're working with Claude Rains, or you're working with Alfred Hitchcock, or Lucille Ball, or Judy Garland, or any of those level of, of, of iconic actors, directors, whatever, yes. um, you're not familiar with their work. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like I had absorbed a bunch of Claude Rains movies. Yeah. So, you weren't intimidated by, I wasn't intimidated by working with these legendary people because I wasn't really aware of their catalog of work. I mean, my mom would say, oh, how wonderful, you're, you're working with French Antone. <laughs> and I'd like go, cool. Great. <laughs> but I'd be more interested in working with Randy Boone because he knew how to play guitar. Um, anyway, uh, I, I did not know Mr. Stewart personally. I had seen him at, at, our church. I knew Gloria. She had been my Sunday school teacher at the Beverly Hills Presbyterian Church. In fact, um, I actually, I actually stayed in her class um, at least one other one one extra year because I enjoyed her personally so much that I didn't kind of want to graduate and go into the other facility or whatever. Yeah, I understand she incorporated animals a lot into the lessons. Was that a big draw? Yeah. Yeah, she was terrific, a wonderful person, just great. And, 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 you know, I mean, I'll answer any questions you have, but I just want to state from the very beginning that of the 57 years that I've been in show business now, um, and of all the people I've worked with, uh, he has since 1964 been number one on the top of that list in every potential category and has never really been challenged by oh, anyone wow. else That's that amazing. I've worked with. I mean, he, I, I, I feel 
so blessed to have spent like three months with him. And, uh, you know, I, I, when I started the project, I, I was a seasoned professional. I'd worked with a lot of people and I w I'd worked more weeks every year than I didn't work. So it wasn't, it, like I said, it wasn't intimidating, but he just in a quiet, friendly, laid back, excellent way, uh, showed me how to do it right, hmm. how to treat the crew, how to treat the, listen to the director, how to treat your fellow actors. Uh, you know, not that I didn't kind of have a sense of how to do that in the first place, but I mean, I never, ever, ever saw him less than professional, less than generous, less than prepared. And, uh, you know, he was just the best of the best. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, and, and given your rich history, that does say a lot because you've worked with a ton of people. I've worked with a ton of people, and I've worked certainly with a, a lot more since then. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm, I'm not, there aren't a lot of nightmares you know, it's not like I have a lot of, a long list of, oh, what an asshole he was, or oh, what an yeah. asshole she was. I, it, it hasn't been that kind of a experience for me. It's been a pretty positive one all down the line. But he remains the pinnacle of the best. I mean, he was just so terrific. And I can't tell you how our relationship for those months was so close. Hmm. I mean, when we weren't shooting, he and I were playing baseball. <laughs> I mean, we were tossing them. We had gloves, and we were tossing a baseball back and forth for hours a day. Oh, that's just, fantastic. Just, just playing catch and just talking like, you know, like father and son. Yeah. Uh, I, I think for whatever reason, I have a very, my gift, one of my gifts is, you know, memorizing stuff. It's just, it came very, very easy to me. And uh, because... I learned to do that before I was a good reader, when I was like five. Mm -hmm. um, I tended to uh, have like an, an oral type of memory sense. If I heard something out loud, that's how I, I memorized it, as opposed to some people write things down, they, they memorize that, they learn that way. Some people, uh, whatever. My thing is if I hear it out loud, and I, I'm programming my brain to maintain it, it works. And, and we would uh, we'd just play baseball before we'd we'd go in to shoot a scene, and he'd say, "Hey, do you know what? Do you know, do you know what I say in this one? We're going to do Billy." <laughs> and I go, "Yeah, you say this, and then I say this, and then you say this." And you go, oh, 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 "All right, I'll go. Oh, good, good, thank you." <laughs> I had heard you had a good Jimmy Stewart impersonation, so you you had. Oh uh... God, I haven't, I haven't thought about that seriously in a long time, but but he was just terrific and, and you know we uh, we got through all of our work very quickly and pleasantly it was a wonderful film to work on well it's fascinating to think about you're starring with him in that movie i mean really it is you and yeah. him as the and then you know one of the uh you know biggest actresses you know internationally was bridget bardot and wow you know they couldn't you know, get the, bigger the, than the scenes with with uh with miss bardot you know, that only took a couple of days. Yeah. And, and, and we flew to Paris to France to, to film that stuff. And, um, well, she couldn't have been cooler. I mean, she was great. She was, there was nothing 
let's say, you know, aloof about her or anything like that. Mm. But there was a, and I say this in the best possible way, uh, you know, she kind of had her her little uh, diva ensemble. She didn't speak fluent English. So it wasn't like the the, the relationship that any of us, whether it was Mr. Stewart or, or me or any in the crew, you know, I mean, it was a bit of a separated, separated kind of thing. She was great. She came on. She was friendly. She was gorgeous. She did her work. Uh, but when we weren't working, you know, she was led off to her little world. We didn't really hang out with yeah. Richard Bardot. None, <laughs> of, none of us did. But what was interesting, and I remember we, 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 we were there about a week longer than we were supposed to be there because of weather. We flew over to Paris, and we were supposed to be back and forth in, I don't know, like three or four days. And there was bad rains and things, and they wanted to do these car scenes and exteriors. And it took us about a week longer, which was fine, because both my parents went, and they enjoyed that very much. Oh, yeah. But um, <laughs> one thing I do remember very well is we filmed her scenes. Of course, in those days, you have to remember, there were no monitors or instant dailies, right? Everything had to be, the film had to be shot and then sent back to the studio and developed and then they would look at the dailies here at 20th Century Fox and we'd know like a, there'd be a, a waiting period. Mm-hmm. So we shot her scenes and evidently somebody felt that there was just too much cleavage showing in, in the mid-60s there. There was too much of, of uh, Miss Bardot's attractive bust line. They're probably concerned. Here's a young, impressionable young man. Maybe. We oh, should... I don't know. They were silly. <laughs> but uh, but you know, there in the in the film, she wears this. Uh, it's like a corsage. It's not real, but there's she wears this this flower in her cleavage, and uh, that's because we went back and redid it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and they put the cleavage there. And and I have to tell you, from a, I know I was only ten years old, but trust me. I, I enjoyed the view. <laughs> you you uh, you keep a good poker face throughout. <laughs> oh, well, you know, acting, my dear boy. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. After that, were you more acquainted with Mr. Stewart? If you ran into him at the church, did you? Uh, do you, Do you remember anything following that? We, ex- we we exchanged Christmas cards throughout the rest of our lives. Oh wow! Um, you know, I had uh, I, I had a couple of nice phone calls. With Mr. Stewart, I had more with Gloria, um, but I I don't want to present a myth that I was a close family friend or anything like that. You know, I know that uh, several years, uh, close to a, a decade or so after we made Dear Bridget, he said some really, really nice things about me in an interview that uh, were extremely flattering, and uh, I, I thanked him for that. Uh, but you know, no, we weren't. We didn't hang out. We didn't. We didn't play poker on Thursday nights. <laughs> and you didn't continue that baseball game you know, no, during the weekend. No, I'm afraid that our <laughs> sports activity was limited to the the time of filming Dear Bridget. Right, which was originally called Erasmus with freckles. Oh, if I knew that, I forgot it. Yeah, right. yeah I, I'm sure I have the original shooting script with that title, and ah. I probably have some stills that say Erasmus with freckles, but they changed it. Oh, that's interesting. All right, so there's this phenomenon we're in now known as geek culture, and it's basically dominated the entertainment industry, and you've been a part of it 
forever. I mean, since you're lost in space days, but I guess before that, Twilight Zone. And I, I'm curious, like, how do you feel about that, seeing all of this stuff that you've been involved with, uh, Comic-Cons, things having to do with science fiction and superheroes, I mean, your whole life, and then it blows up to what it is today. What What is your reaction to that? Took them long enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you were... Uh, you are a part of making that happen. I mean, from the very beginning. You know, I think about like you being on Lost in Space and one of the first color TV shows, and here's this kid with bright red hair in the center of it. You know, and that that was a very colorful show. Uh, sure that, was. That's phenomenal to think about that you you were in the thick of it. Well, you know, I I, I enjoy that uh, genre. That, that I, that's that's. You know, I've always been into superhero comic books and things like that. And Lost in Space, being able to play Will Robinson was a dream come true. It was yeah. it was watching Guy Williams, who, of course, played Professor John Robinson, my father, but it was watching him as Zorro and watching um, George Reeves as Superman in the late 50s. It made me, as a little kid in, you know, in West Hollywood, West L.A., you know, few feet from Beverly Hills that made me want to get inside the television set and be like them. So Will Robinson was really, you know, a dream come true for me. And uh, I, Listen, I'd go back to playing Will Robinson tomorrow if yeah. I could. I love that. And I, I keep thank, waiting for that. Actually, you can thank dear Bridget. So in essence, you're thanking Jimmy Stewart uh, because uh, dear Bridget was a, a 20th Century Fox film mm -hmm. and uh, lost in was a 20th Century Fox project, uh, and I did not audition for Lost in Space. Is that right? You know, I was. They, they were seeing the dailies coming in from Dear Bridget. I certainly had a nice um, career going anyway, <laughs> and yeah. uh, so the part was just offered to me. And in, in the in the previous years uh, to that, my uh, my my parents and my representation, everybody had really felt like don't don't tie him down to a series why should he be just the kid who comes in and has a couple of lines in the kitchen or something or you know why when when you know look what he's doing one 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 week he's doing a, a half gun roll travel the next week he's a sick kid in ben casey or dr kildare then he's doing a few months on a disney movie then he's doing a ozzy and harriet's then he's doing you know a stanley kramer film yeah, it's a dream I mean, career I, it was it was a it was a great opportunity for me to learn the craft uh, of both feature films and, and television episodics, whether that be dramas or comedies or half hours or ninety minute things like The Virginian or whatever. Um, it was a great opportunity to really work with so many different talented people that nobody on my team thought being one of the kids on a television series was necessarily a great idea. But when Lost in Space came along, it was exactly what I'd always wanted to do. And uh, so we jumped on that, and I was certainly glad we did. Yeah, you know, I've been following some posts on Facebook from MeTV. Oh, and, that, yeah. They yeah, and some that, fun stuff. Yeah, they do. They really do. And they pointed out that Lost in Space went up against Batman. Yes, it did. And, uh, wow, what tough competition. Then I, I looked it up and, and found out that both were canceled at the same time. Which no, is, I will remind you that actually Lost in Space was on the air before Batman, and Lost in Space was on the air after Batman. Was okay, on. okay. All right, I was going to... I had this conversation with Bob Kane more than once. 
All right. Okay. <laughs> I was I maybe misread then. I thought they got. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll be editing that little bit out for sure. No, 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 no. Keep, keep it in. Keep it in. All right. Well, this leads to a very odd uh, what-if type question. How would you see Jimmy Stewart in the superhero universe? Like, you know, if he were – because he was big in Westerns. That was huge in his day. Oh, now sure. superhero mo- movies are big. They may go the way of the Western. How would I see him? Well, what, would, what, would he, what, would he, what would be a good role for him? Uh, well, physically, he would have made a great, like, you know, Plastic Man or Mr. Fantastic. Uh, you were right there with so, me. <laughs> so spindly. You know? I was, so, I was going to propose the exact same thing. So yeah, was yeah. very long uh, and stretchy. that would be great. But from an actor's perspective, I mean, the man could could do anything and do anything so, so grounded and real. You know, hell, man, he could have been the Hulk. Anything. Yeah. You know, anything he wanted to, 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 ta- to tackle as an actor, I'm what, sure. What kind of things would set him off as Dr. Banner and turn Jimmy Stewart into the Hulk? Oh, come on, man. <laughs> Read the comics. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, all I'm saying is he, he was such a fine actor that he, his talent would uh, serve any of the, uh, the characters you could have tossed at him. But physically, I think off the top of my head, he would have made it. Excellent. I don't think it's unheard of that he would have done it because I understand he read comic books on the set sometimes. Uh, I, I believe it was Donna Reed said he would read. He'd be off kind of by himself. She thought he might be a little more engaged and talking to people, but sometimes he'd just be off reading, and I believe she said he was reading a comic book at one point. Why not? Yeah, well, why not? I mean, and I, then, know, uh, I still do that, so uh, I, I don't have a memory of him reading comic books on on Dear Bridget, and I think I probably would have, we, I, we would have had a very, very strong connection in terms of that subject matter, because yeah. I was a huge collector, I still am, but I was a huge collector in those days, and, and very passionate about it, and when we were doing Dear Bridget, that was really at the the early, early days of the Marvel Universe, just getting started, you know, like, so we would have talked about that a lot. Uh, I understand he was a big Flash Gordon fan. Oh, well, uh, who isn't? Yeah. I mean, so, the, the, you know, you've actually written Alex Raymond the artwork on the on the, the the Flash Gordon stuff that I'm sure he was, you know, probably a big fan of. I mean, that stuff's beautiful. Oh yeah. So you wrote with Peter David at one point. How did that collaboration come up? And for those who are more in the Jimmy Stewart camp and less comic book camp, he's a comic book writer, listener, dear listener. Uh, I knew him first from the Incredible Hulk series in the 80s you paired with him for a star trek story at least was there anything else and how did that come about oh man peter and i uh, wrote and created the space cases television series together which ran in over 50 countries for two uh two seasons back at the end of the 90s 98 99 peter and i wrote uh, the star treks together we wrote a couple of uh films <laughs> and animated projects together so how'd you get acquainted well, I've been going to science fiction and, you know, uh, sci-fi comic book type convention since the late 70s when that whole genre opened up. I, I've always been a uh, popular, shall we say, because of the Twilight Zones and Lost yeah. in Space and, and, and many other projects that I've done since. Uh, you know, that that's an arena that I, I shine in, so to speak. <laughs> um, and uh, I was writing a comic book for 
Marvel, uh, a character that I co-created in 1987 called the Comet Man, mm -hmm. which sold a half a million books. And Marvel was, uh, um, you know, uh, bringing me out to uh, the bullpen to uh, to talk to the editor in chief about promoting the project. And Peter was a uh, writer, you know, at the time, and still is working for Marvel. And and we met. And he's just a great, great guy. And and and. And we met at the bullpen in, in New York, and we became friendly. Uh, I went out to his house. Um, he was this was before he started writing the Hulk. He was writing a a comic called Merc, hmm. uh, like Mercenary or something. It was their new universe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. It, there was there was an issue of that that I thought was a perfectly written comic book, okay. and I actually wrote him a fan letter. Oh, wow. And I kind of I kind of knew it would be published, but I, I did write him a genuine. <laughs> fan letter I thought everything you know a comic book like a television show or anything else it has to have pacing and, and it's you know it's beat out over 22 pages and I just felt that that particular book of Peter's that I read was paced perfectly surprised me every few pages I just thought it was funny but it was scary it was great I wrote him a little fan letter and you know that meant a lot to him he's a couple years younger than me and, mm -hmm. and he grew up watching my work on television so um he continued the, the relationship, and we were out at the San Diego Comic Con together, and uh, we drove back from the Comic Con together. He, I, I drove him back. Uh, he'd flown into San Diego. He lives in New York. He'd flown in, and, and we drove back to L.A. in my car, and on the way, we, uh, we talked about how Star Trek, he was writing Star Trek, for DC, and we talked about how you know Star Trek fans had always longed to see a crossover between Star Trek and Lost in Space, mm -hmm. and we figured, well, we couldn't license it officially. We couldn't really go to the hassle of trying to make that happen. But so we plotted out the story, which was called um, "The Return of the Worthy," and the Worthy were basically the Robinsons in disguise, and uh, we plotted out this three part three issue story of basically Star Trek meets Lost in Space and then we scripted that together and that was our first collaboration but we've Crazy. had many many since you know related to that you've done a lot of voiceover work in animation uh, and I thought it was interesting Jimmy Stewart's last credit was as an animated voice role in American Tale Fievel Goes West uh, you your daughter is involved in voiceover work as well successful and prolific uh, in fact her new her newest series animated series the loud house um debuted this week on nickelodeon to smashingly wonderful ratings oh, that's great over two million people watched the first episode and for a cable cartoon network that is a huge success uh, she has not been without an animated series on the air since she was seven years old. She's 22 now. Huh. So she's on a very good run. She has a very, very, very uh, great uh, voice, and the microphone loves it, and uh, she's a wonderful little actress, Liliana. Oh, that's amazing. I'm very, uh, very proud of her. That's got to feel great as a dad to have guided one of your kids in that direction and seeing her so successful. Um, yeah, I don't know if I guided her, but... <laughs> But I'm very proud of her, and uh, she's she's on a good good road. Oh, she was watching, so I'm I'm sure you were a big influence. I understand you have a son who uh, has he completed law school now? Uh, he graduated. 
weeks on the 15th of this month. Oh, wow. All right. Congratulations. In fact, uh, we had lunch together yesterday after his second to last final. Ah, that's fantastic. Yep. Very good. Well, let me get into your music real quick, and we'll we'll wrap it up. But um, I can I get a few more minutes. All right. I got to tell you this: uh, you have um, an interesting connection. My with me, my first concert experience was Rick Springfield. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah, I know. I understand you were in the movie Hard to Hold, and you hard played to a watch. Bit, hard to watch. <laughs> Absolutely. And I have to I have to offer up some admission of embarrassment that I'm. You know, I, I probably was one of the few guys at that show, but uh, not the movie, the concert. But uh, it was an amateur. We did for the movie. No, it was around. The, it would have been around the same time because oh, it was the, like I think that. Yeah, because yeah, that they, music they were, was in the in the concert. Yeah, Rick. You know, Rick is a very talented musician. I mean, he's a good guitar player. He's a good keyboard player. Very, very hardworking. You know, genuine. Oh yeah. Musician. I mean, he's just so damn good looking, and uh, you know, he ended up doing soap operas and things. Oh yeah, it just skews feminine, and so you know, when when metal is more popular, and then I come to school wearing a Rick Springfield concert shirt, I yeah, I mean, I welcome you know, the it's shame. Very power pop stuff, it, but but he's a he's a very talented guy, a good musician, good singer, decent songwriter, and certainly he had his share of you know big time pop success. When they were making that film, uh, they wanted his the characters band to be comprised of real musicians who could actually play live and uh, you know play in these scenes in the studio and everything but they also wanted um some some acting experience in there to kind of uh keep it from going off the rails yeah so there wasn't a whole lot of acting involved in that film but uh you know i was happy to do it and we made some some decent friends there. Mike Baird was a great drummer to Pops Popwell on bass and Tony Sales. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. Keith Richards came down to the set a few times because uh, Patty was co-starring in the film and, uh, you know, put a pool in my backyard. Very nice. Yeah, well, can't complain get... about that experience. It's not a good film. <laughs> it's, a, it's a goofy-ass film. Hard but, to you watch. know, the experience of making it was, uh, was certainly pretty good. Yeah. All right, let me get to... Your friendship with Weird Al. Uh huh. How did that come about? Well, um, my, uh, what can I call it? My novelty rock secret identity band, Barnes and Barnes. Yes. Um, which is, without going into 10 minutes on that, Robert and Hamer and I are a duo that um, have made a lot of left of center novelty rock records. But the most successful one by far was uh, Fish Heads, which was a film and a, and a song that became a big kind of global novelty hit. Oh, yeah. was running on Saturday Night Live and everything like that. Anyway, Fish Heads has been very good to us, from being on The Simpsons to being a Quiznos commercial. Uh, <laughs> we were kind of the um, the big deal on Dr. Demento's, uh, at the time, it was a globally syndicated novelty radio show. Uh, and Barnes and Barnes were pretty much the big guys for a year or two on that. And uh, and Weird Al was was coming up in that genre. He was in college at the time, and he really really liked uh, you know uh, novelty music, and he sure. really liked what we were doing. And we became friends because we would go down to the uh, station most every week and be kind of entertainers and celebrities on the air. Uh, and Al would do the same. 
And um, so we just became friends through the Dr. Demento show, and we recorded quite a lot of novelty music together, both on our Barnes & Barnes records and, and on his stuff. And uh, eventually, um, years later, uh, I introduced him to his his wife and mm. mother of his beautiful daughter, <laughs> Nina. And mm. he, he has to blame me for that. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, he's, oh, he's, he's very lucky to... Uh, to have that, and he'll owe me forever. <laughs> that is great. Yeah, he sure will. So how? You know, Al is one of the sweetest, nicest, most loyal, uh, hardworking. He's just a great guy. He's a really nice man, and uh, everyone in his band has been in his band for like 30 years now, and he's an excellent musician. Al has come in and played accordion on many, many projects that I've produced and been a part of without anybody knowing that, you know, hey, it's Weird Al. He's just a great accordion player, oh, yeah. and he, he's come in, and, and we've worked on a lot of projects together over the years. Oh. Bill, how weird is Al? Not weird at all. Okay. He's not, he's not even a little bit weird. He's a very quiet guy. You know, he's, uh, he's mellow. He's quiet. He, uh, he's not at all like his stage persona. What a misnomer. Yeah. No, he's a real uh, quiet dude. You know, he's just, he's just mellow and friendly in there, and, and he's not uh, gregarious in any way, shape, or form. Well, you, you've talked about this a little bit, and I know... Um, I want to wrap it up because you've been very uh, gracious with your time. But uh, Mr. Stewart's legacy, I think you, you did speak about that a little bit, but just going from the perspective you had as a child, and that's like a, that's a unique perspective because you're, you're seeing the world so fresh. But then over time, you know, since his passing even, what, what would you describe Mr. Stewart's legacy as being? A class act, a great uh, friend, father, husband, uh, patriot, uh, a sensitive man who uh, had um, the ability to make you believe any character he chose to uh, portray. Um, never heard anyone anywhere, even in whispers, uh, have a negative word to say about him. Uh, you know, it, 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 I drive by the property in Beverly Hills uh, that was where his house stood almost every day. And it always makes me sad because uh, it was a, uh, a beautiful, beautiful country house. And then he had bought the entire corner property next to it just to build an, uh, a garden. It was a beautiful English garden. Uh, um, and, and, and his house was, was really nice, but it wasn't like, you know, in your face. Yeah. And, uh, and what stands on that property now is uh, in your face. Mm. <laughs> you know, they tore his house down and they yeah. built a new house on that encompassed his, his garden as well as his house. Mm. And, and I see it almost every day and, and, and I, you know, give him a little smile and, <laughs> and I just think of... Uh, what a great guy he was and how lucky I was to, uh, to have worked with him and to have uh, uh, played with him. Perfect. Great words. Oh, real quick, you weren't inspired by Mr. Shatner's Twilight Zone performance to uh, become fearful of flying, were you? 
I don't like to fly. Uh, I, I, that's the first thing I heard about you from the museum. <laughs> I don't. I don't like to fly. Uh, but that's really, you know, I've been on the road, you know, in rock and roll bands. I've I've uh, been to just about every kind of place you can go to to do these conventions, and uh, certainly on locations since I was, you know, in single digits of age. Um, I don't want to jinx anything. I just don't. I don't. I don't like the process. Yeah. I've been on planes that were hit by lightning. You know, I've oh been on goodness. planes where the gas, where the oxygen masks come down. I've been on planes yeah. that had to make emergency landings. I, uh, I don't have some kind of crazy fear about flying. If I were to be fortunate enough to be, you know, cast in a quality project that worked on location, you know, I'd be on the plane. It's not that I'm. I'm not immobilized by it, and I flew last year, and I'll probably fly this year. But yeah. I don't like it, yeah. and uh, and it's going. It, it just, you know what? It, it it takes motivation for me to to do it. It's yeah. not like, hey, I got an idea. Let's all fly to New York. No, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be that guy. <laughs> you know. But if it's like, hey, you know, you want to make a, you want to be a part of this movie, or hey, here's a here's a decent amount of money to do a personal appearance or whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to deny that either. Yeah. But I don't, I don't fly for pleasure. And, and, and I found that in the last, like so many others in the last 15 years or so, um, the experience has certainly <clears throat> changed in a, in a bit of a negative way compared to what it used to be like. And, and if you grew up in screen actors guild as an actor, uh, it wasn't until pretty recently that any time you worked on a production and, and it involved airplane travel, everything was first class. Yeah. So if you if you flew first class from the age of eight to the age of forty something, <laughs> and then and then suddenly every time you fly, you're in coach. Uh, yeah. Uh, and just just take into in, into into the mindset how it's all changed anyway. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know what what coach is today? It's not what coach was in 1970. Mm. You know, it was a lot nicer then. Yeah. Um, so you know, you have to acclimate to not only not traveling the way you grew up traveling, but you have to acclimate to this. You know, all the security and all the stuff. And I, I'd, I'd rather stay home. Yeah. Yeah. Now you've given me a, a good understanding of that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I I, I know that people. It, it, that is a truth about me, but it isn't something that that freezes me. Yeah. From okay. Forward, it's just a choice. Yeah, that make, that makes sense. Gosh, I, I I could talk to you about so much, but so, thank you so much. This is this is fantastic. Well, uh, you know, I'm happy to do it on behalf of Mr. Stewart, and uh, you know, I mean, well, I can yak about myself for a long time. <laughs> well, we're. <laughs> I, know, I know the story. Thank you, Bill Moomy. What a great guy, and thank you for listening. If you found us on iTunes, I hope you'll leave us a review. It will really help us get the word out. And be sure to check out jimmy.org for the latest news from the Jimmy Stewart Museum. This has been your host, Tim Vanderberg. Thanks again, and bye for now.